0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. It's been a little bit of an interesting uh, day. We found out yesterday Brother Nosh had strep throat. That's why he wasn't here today. Brother Tony's out of town, so uh, they called him the old fogey. And uh, so got to do that a little bit. It's weird being uh, closer here uh, than it is back there. I like it back there better, uh, but praise the Lord. Uh, good good to be in God's house worshiping him regardless. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn them into Acts chapter 27. And I know we're, we're grateful that you're here. If you're a guest, we're so thankful you're here, especially our first-time guest. Uh, we want to be a blessing to you while you're here. So if you'll go over to the Welcome Center after the service, uh, we want to give you a gift, meet you, ans- answer any questions you might have about the church Uh, But we are going through this study in the book of Acts, and we're going to continue on in this study. Um, We're getting close to the end, and uh, we have learned so many different things along the way. But if if you were here, you remember that Paul has has been a prisoner. He's been a prisoner uh, for basically following Christ and preaching the gospel. But uh, him and his team, they were on this voyage to Rome because he had appealed to Caesar Uh, and he was granted that because he was a Roman citizen. We've talked about all the different things surrounding that, using the resources that we have to advance the cause of Christ, using everything at our disposal uh, to to be effective in the kingdom of God, all those things, but now they're on their way to Rome. They are on a ship, and we talked about last week that the the voyage has become dangerous. Matter of fact, verse uh, verse 9 of chapter 27 says this, When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Again, the voyage was now dangerous. They're out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, They're on this voyage. And we saw these points last week. The first point last week was this. We must not dwell in the past or in the what-ifs that we have no control over. And the what-ifs can be about the past. The what-ifs can be about what's right now. The what ifs can be about the future. We can get completely bogged down in the what ifs. And sometimes we call those things overanalyzing. Nobody's guilty of overanalyzing, right? Nobody's guilty of worrying or stressing over things that we have no control of. I know everybody in this place has that mastered. Um, but the, that's the point we saw. Uh, again, we, we, we can't control the things we can't control. We can't dwell in the past. We can't say, well, and, and the reason why we grab that point is, uh, if you recall, uh, Agrippa told Festus he probably would have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar, right? And it was, that, that was kind of like that, oh, you kidding me moment? You know, like he could have been set free had he not used and exercised his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar. But we know that the gospel has been preached now to countless people, including leaders, governors, kings, and now he's on his way to meet Nero. And uh, get, get in, in front of him. But the second point was this. We must not forget that the church is God's plan A. And I, and I feel as if uh, there have been so many um, concessions made to the world and to the culture about this point. Uh, I think so many people think that the church is, is kind of something that can be set aside or, 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 or uh, you can be a part of it at your whim. You can be a part of it at your convenience. And that is just an absolute betrayal of our Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood to what we just sang, the redeemed saints of God, to to, to be who he's called us to be and to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. We are here as God's plan A. There's no plan B. If you're a member of the church of Jesus Christ, you are a vital part of his kingdom. And the way that he sets this up is he's placed his people together together all over the world in his church. But the individual parts or the individual members, we could call them, as scripture says, are like body parts. Each local assembly, each local church as a larger body part to the whole body of Christ. And so again, it's essential that we are not only uh, realize that we're part of the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, but a part of a local assembly that's helping carrying out the Great Commission making sure that we're doing that. Again, his plan is just that, to use the people of God, to use his church. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read this because it's such a vital part of Scripture. Paul's addressing the Ephesians. He says this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, individually, uniquely, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he gave, to, uh, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure. What it looks like is that we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the body of Christ would actually look like Jesus Christ. So that we, are, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we should speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in Him, in every uh, every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, listen to this, the whole body of Christ is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so why, if that's the end of it, why is it so important that we build ourselves up in love as we are actively using the gifts that God has given, as we are being equipped by the pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles, as, as, as we are doing this and becoming to, to look like, not only just in a local assembly, but the worldwide body of Christ, that we look more like Jesus more and more every day, why is the end of it to, to, to be built up in love? Well, John chapter 13, Jesus says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in chapter 17, as he's praying to the Father and praying for us even afar off, he says this in verse 21, that they, us, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, the the whole purpose of us being a, a body that moves and is in unity and is close and that we actually love each other with a sincere love, a love that only comes from God, the whole purpose that we would do this is so that the world would know that we're following Christ and that the world would believe on him as well. In our story, at this point, we know Luke has signed up for whatever comes, right? He's the, he's the physician. He's the bi- biographer of Paul. He's, he's on board. We saw Aristarchus uh, uh, has signed up for this as well. They are in this together for the gospel. They are there to help. They're there to encourage Paul. They're, they're there to do whatever is necessary so that the gospel continues on. So we pick up our journey here. And uh, they are together. They're on this ship. They're on this voyage. They're headed to Rome, and the, the journey has become dangerous because of the storm. And in verse 10 it says, Paul said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the, and the ship, but also of our lives. Look what happens though. Paul stands up, so you get it, right? It's a dangerous. There's there's waves, the storm, the wind, the rain. Man, we were driving out of town on Monday, and most of you were here when the torrential rain came and the floods rain and all, all that, that song goes. But um the um, the rain came down. Um but we were driving and it was crazy. We were in a car, right? We were we were some would not say we were safe, but we, I felt we were safe. Um, and these, these guys were in this ship with basically no control, we're going to see. Paul stands up and says, look, this is going to be bad. right? That's what you want to hear from a leader, right? All right, got, got some news for y'all. It's going to be bad. We're going to lose a lot of stuff in the ship, probably our lives too. <laughs> what? So the centurion doesn't like what he has to say, so what does he do? He was more persuaded, in the next verse, by the pilot and the captain of the ship, the owner of the ship, than by what was being said by Paul. <laughs> That's very, very common, right? You hear something you don't like to hear? Well, I don't want to hear that. I'm going to go and find something else that I like better. So he says, look, this we're in trouble. This is bad news. The centurion, though, it says, was persuaded more by what the guy who was running the ship and the guy who owned the ship. It says, because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, they didn't think it was a good idea to stay there. The majority reached the decision. Did you hear that again? The majority reached the decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there, that would be the place to stay for the winter. That was, that's where we need to reach. We don't need to stay here. And Paul says, look, I think it's a bad idea. I don't think we should do it. He said, no, 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 we don't need to stay here. We need to go. So when a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, aha, see, south wind, let's go. We gotta go. They weighed anchor and they began sailing along Crete, close in shore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Urochilo. I think it's the eastern wind. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. So they had a different route in, in mind, right? Wind shows up, coming from a different direction, a strong wind, and redirects their course, taking them further out to sea, further away from land. Running along the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. So they used it kind of as a, as a block. After they had hoisted it up, they, they used supporting cables uh, in undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Syrtis, of they let down the sea anchor, and in this way let themselves be driven along so they were trying to slow down the whole violent dragging along in the sea and the next day as they were being violently storm tossed they began to jettison the cargo tossing overboard and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands they were getting trying to get rid of everything because it was looking really really bad just as paul said since, there, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small, small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Right, Paul stood up and said, look, if, if we keep going, we're not only in danger of losing the ship, but our own lives. You guys, the centurion says, look, I got, I got stuff to do. I got, I got deadlines to meet. I'm supposed to be in Rome. I got to do this. I got to do that. We're m- marching on. What do, you, what do you say, Captain? What do you say, owner? It's your ship. What do you want us to do? Well, I don't think it's a good idea that we winter here. I think that we should keep moving. And if we can get to this port, then we can winter there. And then we, then we can make the trip. No problem. It'll be easy from there. You'll get there. You'll make your deadlines, all that kind of stuff. I'm throwing that in there. I don't know about the deadlines. <laughs> but um, so anyways, they, they, they listened to... These guys who were the the driver of the boat and the owner of the boat, basically. We know that Paul was a tent maker by trade, right? When he was not taking money from churches because they were accusing him of doing it for greed and for, you know, selfish purposes, he would make tents. Quill and Priscilla were a part of that. Additionally, we know that he was a Pharisee, and he was really good at that. He had already explained in his testimony that he had gone from house to house, and he was zealous about the law, and he, he was a, a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was of the strictest sect, he was a, a Jew of the Jews, of the tribe of Benjamin, on and on and on and on. We know that this guy was good at being a Pharisee, and we know nothing of him of being an expert sailor or a meteorologist, right? So when we see this situation, the story it makes sense that the centurion who's in charge of the trip and making sure these prisoners get to Rome would dismiss the preacher. It would. Right? I mean, here you are, and you got this guy who's a prisoner already. Everybody thinks he's crazy. Everybody wants him dead. Uh, he's being shipped. Your job is to get him to Rome safely, and then you're done. right? He, he, he has a responsibility. It's his neck on the line if the prisoners don't show up where they're supposed to show up. And so here you have the experts, the people who are used to sailing, the guy who owns a boat, saying one thing and the preacher saying another. It's no surprise that they dismissed what Paul had to say. And I would say even today, just like it was then, it's no surprise when the lost dismiss the men of God. But it is sad When the people of God do the same, especially in light of what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, right? That's the whole reason why God gave certain men to the church. It's not that I or any other man, including Paul, is any better or any smarter, any more talented than anybody. It's not about that at all. It boils down to this either you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as Lord, he is the head of his church. And as the head of his church, he is obviously put in order. He's called and installed both under shepherds and other leaders to serve his purpose. Either you believe that or you don't. If you do, then you must know point number one. God often gives insight and discernment to his men for his people. You remember that it wasn't just Paul on that ship with these lost guys. It wasn't just Paul on, these, on this ship with these uh, Roman uh, guards and centurion. It wasn't just Paul there. It was Paul, and we know Luke, we know Aristarchus. We know that God had his people on this boat too. You know, in times past, preachers, pastors, spiritual leaders could say something, and it would carry weight. And so what's changed? Well, I think there's been a lot of mishandling. I think there's been a lot of self-driven examples in the past. People out for themselves. Fewer and fewer people are prone to turn to spiritual leaders for counsel. Again, it's not that I or any other man, for that matter, is better than anyone. Again, we heard what Paul said. He's the chiefest of sinners, the least of the apostles, not worthy. Again, absolutely, we are not experts in all fields. But to deny that God has given his men as a measure and a balance for his people is to deny Scripture. Again, we know the miserable failures. We know the miserable abuses that have led to grave distrust of many, both, both of, of, of the church and, and, and of spiritual leaders. The, the abandonment of the wisdom of God that he gives through men. We know that all these things have, have kind of culminated into what we have in 2020. And seeking godly counsel from the the preacher and and from spiritual leaders, we know that it's an acknowledgement of God himself. So what type of distrust and mishandling are you talking about? Well, the Catholic Church is one of those examples that have led to distrust. You have people who rely on a man to make intercession between them and God. And the Bible tells us there's only one mediator between man and God, and that's Christ Jesus. You have other abuses throughout the health and wealth and prosperity teachers as well, being exposed and and in it for the money and in it for the fame and in it for, for themselves. Again, it's more about doing what they want than doing what God wants. We have to understand it's about honoring the Lord and His program and the church when we yield to what God has given to His men. It's about yielding to him than it is more about that than it is putting trust in men. We saw last week that Paul himself, as I said, is the least of the, the apostles, the chiefest of all sinners. However, God indeed called him. There was no question God called him because it was God's work and it still is God's work. Because it was God's church, it still is God's church. And I want to remind you of this. Any good counsel is biblical counsel. If you got it, myself included. If I ever tell you something, or if any other leader in this ch- t- church tells you something that is not lined up with biblical biblical truth, reject that counsel. Any discernment, any discerning thoughts that a leader would offer that are true discernment—they come from God. Well, we're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about going there. We're thinking about selling this and buying that. We're thinking about talking to them and making this decision, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to say this. It's not that the members of a church need the pastor or elder's permissions at all, unless it's sinful and indicting on the church and our Lord. But it is wise to say we've prayed about it. We we truly feel at peace about this. This is not serving a sinful or fleshly desire that we have. But we'd like to bounce it off you and get an objective, different perspective, to see if maybe God would show us something different than what we feel like we've already come to. Again, me or any other pastor, we're not talking about, well, we need to consult the pastor for what groceries we buy or or things we buy. It's not about that at all. I don't really, I don't want to know what you're buying. Unless it's possibly sinful or unless it's indicting on the church and the Lord. Then yes. And I would say this: if you know that it's sinful and you know that it possibly is indicting on the church and our Lord, then you should repent and stop and not continue to do that, even if it's groceries you're buying." James chapter four, verse 17, "Therefore, to, to one who knows the right thing to do and does it not, and does not do it, to him it is sin. One final clarification on this. Again, it's not about me or a man, just like it wasn't about Paul. I'll say this, it's about a closeness with Christ that leads to an understanding that he's put in place men that he uses. And he often gives insight and discretion as a balance and a help to lead his people in a way that honors himself. If a man, including myself, again, as I said a while ago, gives counsel, that goes against any biblical truth, if it's unrighteous, then that counsel is to be rejected and that man, that preacher, that pastor should be rebuked. And of course not with accusation, the Bible says that there's a way to do that. But Paul hadn't given anything that was against biblical truth or righteousness. So some might say, well he was only looking out for himself. He was just scared. Paul was afraid that they were going to die, and so that's why he spoke up and said what he said. And therefore he's being unrighteous, but there's no evidence for that. In reality, just as our point says, God gave discretion and wisdom to his man in this moment in an area that he wasn't an expert in, and it was rejected. And the lesson is that's not real wise. Verse 21 goes on, when they were... When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, (laughs) you you know, sometimes you say, well, I never want to say I told you so. Paul didn't hold back. Paul said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. I told you so. And not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life, life among you, only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the, uh, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying this, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men. For I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. So much like pastors today, Paul had to shift gears. He had to take a different approach. His advice now was turning to admonition, a charge to trust Christ regardless of the difficulty that was ahead, that he knew was ahead. Even if the difficulty comes as a result of rejecting the original advice, which oh man, how many times has that happened? Again it has nothing to do with Paul, it has nothing to do with me. Nothing to the fact that Paul was all knowing that I or Brother Jeffrey, Brother Turner, any pastor is all knowing has nothing to do with that. But what it is is this, our second point. God always gives what's needed in the midst of a storm. God always gives what's needed in the midst of a storm. But we have to enact what He has given. John chapter 16, verse 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. That's the Spirit will come and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us, the people of God, to guide us in his truth. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counsels there is safety. It's so important for us as we go in this life, right? It's so easy. We've talked about this recently. We get so inundated with so many things. Our lives are laden down. We're so busy. Our thoughts are about our schedule and what all we have to get done. We live like that. All of us. We have to put things on the calendar. We have to meet deadlines. We have to do all of this stuff. And so our minds get absolutely saturated. I was talking last night, I was doing a devotion and And uh, the the devotion was primarily about meditating on God's Word, right? So many Christians, I believe, this is how we approach the, the Word of God. It's a book, and it's necessary. And we have to have this information in our life to be a good Christian. And so I need to read my Bible every day so that I stay away from sin and I obey God. But I would say this, that is a wrong approach, The Bible is absolutely effective and important and necessary, and daily intake of the Word of God is important. But man, if we are missing this crucial element of meditating on God's Word, we're missing the richness and the bounties, the treasure trove that God has given to us in His Word. So oftentimes we read the verse, close the Bible, done, or close the app and we're done. Man, we have to understand sometimes God wants to just be with us. We read His Word and and then... This may be a bad illustration, but like a cow chewing its cud, we need, to, we need to just meditate on it and think about it. Chew on it for a while. Talk to the Lord about it. Allow the Spirit to lead us. Maybe talk to a, a group leader. Maybe talk to a pastor. Hey, I was reading this today, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. I, I really feel like this is important. And, and again, whatever the case, maybe we, we need to make sure that we're in the Word of God the way we should be. But on top of that, we have to heed counsel and truth. We have to not only do that, but we have to activate courage and faith in him. That's what Paul was standing up and saying, look, this is what God has shown me, and this is what we've got to do. We've got to move forward in faith. We've got to have courage, and we've got to keep going. We can't let this stop us. We can't let this hold us back. We can't let the fear or the worry of what's going to come or what might happen keep us from doing and accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. And so he says, Take courage. But it had to be activated, just like it does in our life. Well, I'm just worried about what's going to happen to our family. I'm worried about what's going to happen to my job. Listen, take courage. God's in control. He's your God. He's your Lord. He's our God. He's our Lord. He knows every hair on our head. He knows what his plan is for us. There's a future and a hope that he has for all of his children. Take courage and move forward in faith. We have to learn to activate courage and faith, but also learn from examples that we have in front of us and lean on his resources. The story of the children of Israel is is an example that's still applicable today. There they were. Right after being delivered, miraculously delivered from Egypt, from Pharaoh. I mean, it was absolutely... A miraculous delivery from, from slavery. God, there was leading them through the, the, the various types of trials in the desert, and he was leading them, providing everything they needed in this journey through the wilderness. Food, check. Water, check. Protection, check. Truth, absolutely check. Leader, leaders, check, check. Hope, help. Everything, check, check, check. Yet, Just as it is today, it was still not enough for the people of God. God had given them everything, just as he's given to us. The Bible says that. He's given to us all things that pertain pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need as the children of God has been provided for us. Yet what ends up happening, the same thing happens to us today as it did to them. It's like the things of God and the things that he gives just aren't quite good enough. We want a little bit of what the world has to offer, too. The direction of the leader, the provision from God, all were brought into subjectivity and relativity. What Moses said, hey, this is what God says we should do. This is what God has commanded. This is the direction that we've got to go. This is what God has provided. All of it were brought into subjectivity and relativity. Well, we had it better back there. I think that it would be best if we did this. We think we can do it ourselves. And self, for them, just as it does for us today, became the little g, God. That's what was driving them. The acts of sin and idolatry, they were just simple manifestations of their selfish desires to please their own flesh. Instead of the Lord God who had delivered them and protected them and provided for them and was leading them to the place, the land of promise. They had become the idols. They themselves become the gods of their own life. And that's what they were submitting to. That's what they were following. That's what they were sacrificing for. Again, we can be so guilty of the same things. That's why even 2,000 years later, the message to the Corinthian church is still a message for us today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, he's talking about the children of Israel, were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And every single one of the children of God ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the, the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And I want you to hear this this verse because it's been taken out of context for years and years and years and years. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Well, nobody knows what I'm going through. You're wrong. Number one, God knows what you're going through. And I promise you this, there has been some child of God throughout all of history who has dealt with the same thing you're dealing with. There is no temptation that has overtaken you, that, that has come upon you, But such as is common to man. And I want you to hear this. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Listen, don't stop there. Don't stop there because that's what's taken out of context. Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So that's the, that's the rest of the story, as, as, as it says, right? It's not just about, well, God's not going to put on you more than you can handle. No, 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 that's not what it says. It says God's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to handle it, but will with every temptation, even if you feel like I can't handle this, this is too much for me, he'll even in those circumstances provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure that trial and temptation. It's not that, so well, I just, I can't deal with this too much. It's too, too hard. Listen, we can be so fixated on what we want and what pleases us. Well, I don't like this. I don't think this is the right thing. I don't like this direction. I, that we miss the provision of our Lord that he always provides. That's exactly what the children of Israel were doing. They, they were so fixated on what they wanted, what they thought was right, what they thought was better. And all along, God was giving to them everything they needed to make it through the wilderness into the promised land. Paul as God's messenger gave what was needed in that moment. Those people on that ship could have rejected it. I'm sure some did in that moment. What does this preacher know? He's 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 going to die probably anyways. But in that instance, I want you to know, Paul was in the trial too. Paul even said, "I'm thinking that we're probably going to die." We're fearing of our lives. Even to the Corinthians, he said at one point in time, we despaired even of our lives. We thought we were going to, we, we feared that we were going to die. But Paul even used his trial, his distress, to do something vital. He gave them hope. But the hope was in Christ alone. He pointed them to the Lord as the source And I want to encourage you this morning. Every preacher, every Christian must do the same. We cannot get so bogged down in our own temporal circumstance. I want you to hear that again. We must not get bogged down in our own temporal circumstance, which is so easy to do. So fixated on what we're dealing with that we miss the moments, the divine moments that God affords to us. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that before where I'm just so fixated on wanting to be out of this certain trial that I might miss the moments along the way that God is wanting to do and how he's wanting to work in that situation. So focused on me, so focused on the relief that I might be missing the opportunity to point others to Christ in the storm. Remember, that's what Paul did. He's in the midst of the storm. He's dealing with it. He's thinking they're going to die. Luke's thinking they're going to die. That's the whole reality for what what they're dealing with. And yet Paul stands up and tries to offer hope and point people to Christ. I want to encourage you this morning. We must never miss the opportunity to point others to Christ in the storm. We may never get the opportunity with that person to those people again. Those people you encounter in the midst of that storm, Paul may have never seen those people on that ship ever again. Here was his moment to point them to Christ. So even in the storm, we must maintain the testimony and maintain the purpose of our existence so that others may see Christ in us. This morning, I want to encourage you. I know there's a lot of people, man, when we pray, it seems like we're just continuing to add people to our, our, our prayer list that are dealing with so many different things, so many problems, so many issues, so many heartaches, so, many, so much loss, so, so many things going on. People are dealing with, with stuff that are, that are real storms, real problems, real struggles in life. But no matter how hard the storm gets, no matter how difficult the trial is, it's still our call to maintain the testimony and maintain the purpose that we exist on this earth. And that's to bring glory to Christ. And point others to him. So maybe you're here this morning and you're dealing with something and that's all you've been able to think about. You get up in the morning and all you're thinking about is this struggle. You go about your day and you're trying to focus on these different things that you have to do, your job, your kids, your family, whatever you have to do. But all that keeps coming back in your mind is this struggle, this problem, this issue that you're dealing with. You go to lay down at night and get some rest. And it's on your mind. Your sleep is restless. It's always on your mind. I want to encourage you. I'm not saying that you just it magically disappears when you start trying to see the, 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 the purpose of, of this. But man, to know that God is, has you in this. We were praying for Christian and Shauna this morning. And one of the things that he's, in, in just talking with him back and forth, he, he said, there's no doubt that God is building our patience in this. Well, you know what James says about patience? That if you allow it to have its perfect work, you will be complete. You'll be mature. It's a way. It's, that's the only path to maturity. So maybe God, through this trial, is, is allowing them to go through that, to build a level of patience and therefore maturity in them that is going to be absolutely essential for the work that he has ahead of them that they don't even know they're going to do. God is, he provides everything we need. Everything. And so I want to encourage you this morning, just like Paul said. Take courage and keep moving forward in faith. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're here and you you would say something like this, I'm not positive that heaven is my eternal home. You're sitting there in that seat and and that's where you're at. I'm not positive that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I want to beg you this morning to come to this altar. We have men and and women here. If you're a man, we can have a man take you aside privately. It's not going to be weird or awkward. All we want to do is show you in God's Word how you can know 100% that when you die, you're going to heaven. If you're a lady, we've got ladies, they can take you aside. Same thing, we're not going to embarrass you, just want to show you privately, and you can make a decision for yourself. But there is a way, one way, that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven when you die. And if you don't have that, I don't want you to leave this place without it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for this example that you've given us in, in our study. Lord, we know that um, we're all just sinners saved by grace, every single one of us in this place that are Christians. Lord, nobody's better than, than, than another. Lord, it's, it's clear in your word that you've given gifts, that you have given grace according to what pleases you and according to what's going to accomplish your plan. And I pray that we would be wise to submit to you, to your plan. Lord, to follow your direction and follow what you have for us. God, that we would remember that even in the storms, you want to do a work in and through us. And again, that we wouldn't be like the children of Israel, that we're so saturated with our own desires and what we wanted and what we thought that we'd miss the great blessings that you have us in and are leading us to. Lord, I pray that you just move now as we respond to your word and to help us respond rightly. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as the music's played, I want to encourage you to come.